Welcome to a season opening edition of the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside the Knoxville News Sentinels, Adam Sparks and John Adams. Guys, Tennessee opening the season once again in a Thursday night game, much like last year, and also like last year against a MAC opponent. It'll be Ball State in Neyland Stadium on Thursday night. Uh, we're going to get to a lot of things in this episode, including, including some final, I guess, overarching thoughts on, on the season. But first, guys, just a couple things real quick that, that you're going to be looking from Tennessee in this opener. What's, what's going to have your eye in the opener? Brew McCoy. That's my first, second, and third. Uh, I, I think that's almost an obvious one, but it, but it's because it's correct. A lot of what Tennessee does on offense this year will depend on how good its wide receiving core can be and how well it can reload from last year. A lot of things went right last year with the receiving core and how they plugged in new pieces. Um, and Brew McCoy is the new piece. And there's so much that hinges on that outside receiver working out in terms of being able to keep the guys at the slot that they want to keep there in terms of, uh, you know, keeping double teams and over the top coverage off of Cedric Tillman and just giving Hendon Hooker guys that can catch the ball and keep that offense moving. Defense, defense may be a little better, but I, I don't know. That it's going to be that much better. If, even if it is offense has to be the bread and butter. And I think Brew McCoy has a big part of that. Well, I'll stay in the obvious lane too. I'll go with Hendon Hooker. A uh, couple of things. One, I want to see if his uh, he's more consistent on his deep ball. Uh, I thought Tennessee left some points last year because he didn't connect, and it just seems as though we've talked about this before, but it seems as though Tennessee receivers are always open, <laughs> particularly on some of those deep passes. I expect him to be more accurate, and uh, so you might hit a couple of more of those a game. And the other, I'm curious as to how much he will run. Um, I don't think when you're playing ball state, you need co- to call any design runs for Hendon hooker. And I would prefer that he get rid of the ball quickly, uh, whenever possible. I, he, he's so Tennessee's offense is so dependent on him. Uh, he's so valuable that you just don't want to risk injury. You don't want to lose him for a quarter, much less a game. Yeah, it's a good point, John, with Hendon Hooker about his deep ball, because I think for as successful as Hooker was last year, I don't feel like he's hit his ceiling yet. I, I think he can be better this year than he was a year ago. And perhaps that's part of the reason why you see his name mentioned in some dark dark horse uh, Heisman lists. But like you, I think if he improves that deep ball, he could have a better season, not only because he's conceivably going to get a couple more starts this year. He didn't start till week three, but but because I think there are areas of his game he can improve. And and to your point, Adam, I think Brew McCoy is is one of those guys that's uh that the Hinton Hooker is going to be relying on. We know we know Cedric Kilman is is uh is a go to target now. As as Josh Heupel said in his Monday press conference, a lot of people hadn't even heard of Cedric Tillman uh, this time last year. Now everybody knows him. He's one of the top receivers in the SEC. But as we all know, you need multiple targets to attract the attention of the defense. And, you know, Tennessee lost Valus Jones. They lost Javonta Payton. So the opening is there for a number two, number three target to to stand out. And and I think the expectation is that that Brew McCoy will, will be that guy. And I guess on down the list is, you know, Jalen Hyatt. 
uh, is a guy I'm, I'm curious to see. How does he look? Because, you know, he flashed early in his career under Jeremy Pruitt, then kind of treaded water last year. A lot of people were expecting a breakout campaign from him last year. Didn't happen. But now, as a third-year player, it seems like he's going to be highly counted on. We've heard a lot about him in the preseason. He's another guy that that I'll be curious about. Well, and let me just add on to what what uh, John said about Hinden Hooker. I think we do take for granted a lot that he was healthy enough last year. I mean, Tennessee dodged a bullet a number of times with him. Um, I think maybe it was the pit game where he got blown up trying to do a spin move in the open field and fumbled. Um, and it looked like that was a season-ending injury. It ended up he was he was okay. Um, the Florida game he left in the fourth quarter with a leg injury. Um, the Ole Miss game, he did not play the final few plays of that game uh, because of a leg injury, and Joe Milton finished it. Maybe if Hendon Hooker's in there, they win that game. We learned later that he got some teeth knocked out against Alabama in a game that really was pretty gutsy that he even played that game. And even if you think about the, the Vanderbilt game, he, he left. He had got stitches in his hand. And, you know, they were – Tennessee was this close to losing Hendon Hooker for an extended period of time. And they can't let that happen this year. I know we're going to talk about number of wins and success and failure and that sort of thing. Uh, a lot of that hinges on whether or not Hendon Hooker is healthy. That that can be a two or three game swing if you're going from Hooker to Milton. Yeah, and also I, I think it's interesting how we're setting this up. You look at we talked about Hendon Hooker. We've talked about his receiver, and I think one of the question marks going in, of course, is the play of the left tackle who will be protecting Hendon Hooker's blind side. So it shows how much import we place on Tennessee's ability to throw the ball and score a bunch of points. I think we just kind of agree that the defense at best will be mediocre. And so you got to be, you got to score 40 points or more in a lot of games. Yeah, and, and even even at running back, if when you ask uh, when you ask Alex Golish, the OC, and some others on the offensive staff, what do you need to see out of the running backs? Usually, the first thing they say is pass protection. Well, where is that the case that you're talking about pass protection with your running backs? That's always part of it, but that's like one of like seven things. It's not the number one thing. Which uh, I'll echo John's point again. Everything sort of points back to Hendon Hooker. Keep that guy upright. Keep that guy in the game where he can execute what, what, a, what a difference a year makes from us talking about how valuable that guy is uh, from, from just this time last year. But so much of it depends on that, that if you can protect Hendon Hooker, if you can catch the ball for Hendon Hooker, if you can execute in a way and get your timing right for Hendon Hooker, then you're going to be on the field. If you can't do those things, then you're not going to be. All right, guys, a, a big picture here as, as we get into the season on, on Thursday night. What does a successful season look like for Josh Heupel's year two? And, and later in the episode, we're going to get into what does a disappointing season look like for, for Heupel this year. But I want to unpack these one at a time. So first up, what would define success this year for, for Heupel? Do you have a win total in mind? Do you have particular games that you think sort of success hinges on? Um, what do you think of when you think this would be a successful season in Josh Heupel's second year? I sort of have some bullet points to that. Uh, record, uh, minimum eight and four. That's better than last year. 
Um, well, let me even say this. Eight and four, and then second bullet point beat Florida, um, which is a, I think is still a, a big if. Uh, lost 16 out of 17 to the Gators. If you're going to get them, this is the time. Um, but eight and four beat Florida, go to a Florida Bowl, which if you're eight and four, you you, you probably would. You go to the go to the Outback or the Gator Bowl. If if you're a win better than that, you you probably get into the Citrus Bowl. So uh, a Florida Bowl, as we know, is sort of the sort of the half a step up uh, in the view of the fan base and others. Uh, it's a half a step better than sort of the Music City Bowl, the Vegas Bowl, which is now in play. Eight minimum eight and four record. Beat Florida because this is your opportunity to do it. Go to one of the Florida Bowls, and the defense show some semblance of improvement in just a few areas. And, and, and that's because I think you need to show that this is a, that there's a formula in place to challenge in the sec East in the future. This isn't just about getting a little better than last year. This is about showing an upward trajectory, better record, better bowl, and a little better on the field shows that you're, you're moving forward. And so that then nine and three or 10 and two are possible in future seasons because you can win with this formula and, and win even more. Yeah, I'll go with the record first. Um, I think for Tennessee fans to consider this a successful season, Tennessee would need to go nine and three. I think eight and four is kind of a push, uh, but I think there's a lot of optimism brewing out there amongst the fan base. To win seven games last year, you want to show improvement. And eight and eight wins does that. I, I agree with Adam on that. Yeah, that's that's improvement. But to really celebrate it would be nine wins. And I think with this schedule, that's that's very possible. So the other thing I would look at is Alabama and Georgia. Is be competitive with those teams longer. Imagine the excitement if Tennessee could come within single digits of Alabama or Georgia. It, it's just, it hasn't been happening particularly with Alabama ever since Nick Saban got there. There have been a couple of instances, and even when Tennessee was competitive through three quarters, and, and it looked like it was going to play a single-digit game, and, and it kind of fell apart there in the fourth quarter. So that would be something I think a lot of fans would look at because Adam talks about showing improvement. Well, that's one way to do it. Be competitive against the best teams in the SEC, which, in fact, are the best teams in the country. All right, I, I maybe don't have as high of demands as as you do, John. I you 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 set the bar high there. That's ambitious. I, I like it, but I'm I'm probably um, a little closer to where Adam is. I'll say minimum of of eight and four going into a, a bowl game. I'll I'll broaden it from Adam Adams uh, beat Florida, and I'll just say beat one of the quote unquote big three, the big three rivals in Alabama, Georgia or Florida, obviously, to Adam's point, Florida's the most gettable. But I'll say just get one of the three, whoever it is. So eight and four, beat either Alabama, Georgia, or Florida. And number three, don't lose to Kentucky. If you lose to Kentucky in that late October game, I think that that sours a a lot of the season. Fans just expect to beat Kentucky. Tennessee almost always does beat Kentucky, and it doesn't matter – that Kentucky's a preseason top 25 team. The expectation is still for Tennessee to beat Kentucky. So I think eight and four with a loss to Kentucky 
that's that's soured uh, for for a lot of folks. But eight and four, go to a decent bowl game, beat Florida or Georgia or Alabama. Don't lose to Kentucky. I, I call that success. John, let me ask you a follow up here. You're nine and three. That would be a success for Tennessee fans. Is is that most likely then in including wins over Pitt and Florida? Yes. See, yeah. so and, I think, and I know those are. I mean, I know there's a kind of swing games, Florida in particular, because of the history, Pittsburgh, because it's a pretty good team and it's the first game on the road. But yeah, to me, the uh, to me, you then win, you lose to Alabama and Georgia, and then you split with uh, South Carolina and LSU. I'm higher on South Carolina than most people are. I think that would be a very difficult game at williams Bryce Stadium late in the season for Tennessee. I, I do think the schedule then sets up in that um, you would feel a Tennessee fan would feel even better than one win better at nine and three because of, of how the schedule sets up. So, so John, let's say let's go with the LSU loss. Um, if you're losing to Alabama, LSU, and Georgia in one of the models, you're saying that means Tennessee fans would see their team starting four and zero in September. Great start, feel great. And then you would end uh, five and one in the last six games uh, because you would only have a loss to Georgia. And then you can do as Tennessee used to do traditionally, which was feast on November and just pile up wins against the Kentuckys and, and South Carolinas and, and Vanderbilt and so on. So you would start great and get all this buzz going and you would finish great and, 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 and really just take your lumps in the middle of the year to, you know, Alabama, LSU, and Georgia, which people can stomach the middle of the schedule if they know things are great on the front end and the back end. So I think nine and three people would almost feel like they were 12 and 0 if nine and three set up like that because of how the schedule looks. I've heard some people say they, they think they believe uh, 10 and two is, is very much possible. Yeah, I, I believe we heard Roman Harper say that on the SEC Network. That's uh, right. Yeah, <laughs> mere few weeks ago in in bold prediction land. Um, all right, guys. Uh, on the flip side of this, we 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 have to examine the the glass half empty approach. I always forget which is yes, the glass half empty approach is the pessimistic outlook. So, what would be a disappointing season for Heupel's second second year? Well, I'll make this easy on mine. Uh, a lot of mine is just the the flip side of the bullets bullet points that I set out before. Um, if you're seven and five, uh, that's that's a disappointment because you're bringing back a lot of the same personnel and you're no better. And Josh Hopple's second year, you were seven and five last year in regular season. You should be better this year, especially with the quarterback back. Um, if you lose the bowl game, w- we tend to say, "Well, who cares about the bowl game? They don't matter anymore." Uh, I think when you lose your first one, especially lose it in the way that they did, if you come back the next year and, and you lose it again, uh, it leaves a sour taste in your mouth. So seven and five or obviously worse would be a disappointment. Losing the bowl game, uh, unless you, you're like nine and three and lose the bowl game, and that's fine. But losing the bowl game with that type of record is is even worse. And if you don't get better at what your weaknesses were last year, um, if you don't have a steady pass rush, if your pass defense is terrible again, they were last in the SEC last year. If you cannot get first downs on third and short, which they were one of the worst in the SEC last year, um, number 12 rushing offense in the country, but could not pick up a third and one. Um, and that's probably a podcast for another time. I think we've had that one before, but 
I think why that would be a disappointment is, again, you you want to leave this season saying Josh Heupel can get this team to challenging in the SEC East. And if the formula is really good, fast offense that scores a lot of points, but also a defense that's going to give up a ton of points, and you can't get the tough yards and in, in, in running the ball, and you can't bring a steady pass rush, then you're going to look like a team that's going to be six and six to eight and four every year. And, and that's just going to be your ceiling and it's never going to get any better. And that would leave people with the, the, the taste of, well, this is going to be, you know, Butch Jones and no better. And people don't want that. People want to say, this is going to be what Butch Jones was in his best years. And then it's going to be even better. And it's going to keep going on. If you have a formula that just gets you to eight and four or, or something around that, then, it's going to be a mild disappointment. So they have to be better in those areas that they struggled in last year. Dropping uh, Butch Jones's name will terrify some fans. I think uh, record-wise, I think fans would be really disappointed with 7-5 and five because Tennessee did that last year with a new coaching staff, a completely different system, not as much talent or experience, and to come back against a schedule which is similar and still win seven games would be disappointing. I think what you don't want to see negative trends you expect the offensive to be good but you would like as adam pointed out you want to see some improvement on defense if the defense is just as bad as last year and if you give up what was it 45 points to purdue in a bowl game then people will say well he's a really good offensive coach but you can see they're not making any headway defensively and this is who we are also another negative trend would be getting whipped substantially by Alabama and Georgia because then the trend becomes, well, you know, maybe we can get pretty good under Josh Heupel, but we're not going to compete against Alabama and Georgia. And look how they're recruiting again this year. So another negative trend, or even if you go to a bowl game and you play another big 10 team and you give up that many points and then you start thinking, well, yeah, this guy can't win a bowl game after two starts. So I would try, if I were a coach, I would want to avoid all negative trends. I'm going to stick with you guys on on the seven and five thought. I, I think the seven and five has to be filed under disappointing, right? I mean, doesn't mean it would be labeled catastrophically bad season, but after going seven and five in the debut, the bar has been raised. So I think seven and five, I agree. Um, I think Tennessee, you know, it, there's opportunities, multiple avenues to get to better than seven and five. So if they don't get there, if they're seven and five or worse, I think that's a disappointment. Um, and then I would include an eight and four with a loss to Kentucky as as a disappointing season. You know, if if Tennessee comes out, they beat Florida in September, they're four and oh in September. And then they lose to LSU, Georgia, Alabama. You're still thinking, right? Like you can have a good year here. You you can you can go nine and three. But if you sprinkle in a late October loss to Kentucky at Neyland, I really think that's going to sour, um, you know, what what would be a four and zero start to the season. And I just think I I don't see Tennessee fail, filing successful seasons. You know, filing a season in the successful column with a win over Kentucky, that that to me is is a critical game. So got to win at least eight, can't lose to Kentucky, otherwise disappointing season. 
for the Vols. I, I did notice that none of us, either in the success or failure categories, none of us said where they should finish in the East um, as success for, or failure. And I think that's notable because I think we misread the standings so much because the schedules aren't saying now future schedules that could be better or worse. But, you know, I was looking at Kentucky schedule and it's, it's all, it's usually weak non-conference, but even in conference play, uh, Kentucky plays Ole Miss and Mississippi state in, in the West, uh, Tennessee plays Alabama and LSU. Tennessee could beat Kentucky head to head by 40 and still finish behind Kentucky in the standings because of those schedules. So I, I do think it's important, which I guess maybe we picked up on uh, the fact that where you finish in the standings, unless you're at the top of the East, doesn't really doesn't really say a, a lot for what your success or, or failure is. Yeah, people care ten times more about do you win the head to head matchup versus team versus where did you finish in the standings in relation to the other team. And, and great point, Adam. Um, certainly, there are there are ways Kentucky could finish ahead of of Tennessee in the East standings, even with a Tennessee win over Kentucky. And I think that's fine. If that happens, that doesn't necessarily make it a disappointing season for Tennessee, as long as they, they beat Kentucky in the head to head. And it is something what John, you talked about trends. I think it is. I think it's notable for us to see if those trends hold up in those head to heads, because of all that we know of Josh Hopple right now, well, he owns Missouri because he blew out Missouri. He owns South Carolina because that game was over in five minutes. <laughs> they played poorly against Vanderbilt, and that was a blowout. And beat Kentucky in Lexington. So, obviously, he owns Kentucky. That's not going to be a problem in Neyland because he just won in Lexington last year. So, w- the trend we think is intact is those he can be a b- bottom feeder in terms of he can just beat all those teams as a guarantee, and now he can look ahead of him, uh, above him, and try to knock those off. You have to uphold those to be trends uh, in in year two. Otherwise, you start to get people a little nervous. Maintain good trends, avoid uh, bad trends. I'm glad uh, Blake brought up Kentucky because you, you don't expect to beat Alabama, Georgia, and based on history, you shouldn't even expect to beat Florida. Fans have accepted losing to them, but to show progress, you've got to come closer or maybe beat one of them. On the other hand, fans have an image of no matter what Kentucky, no matter where Kentucky's ranked, where it is in the SEC standings, it will lose to Tennessee. Derek Dooley was hurt immeasurably in 2011, his second season, by losing the final game to Kentucky, which was playing with a makeshift quarterback. A wide receiver moved to quarterback because the first two guys were hurt. He never got past that game. I think a lot of fans checked out on the Derek Dooley era with that loss because that was not a good Kentucky team. Uh, And then he was fired after the 2012 season. Butch Jones in 2016 at South Carolina. Tennessee should have won the SEC East that season, but in when it lost to a bad high, uh, South Carolina team that was playing Jake Bentley quarterback, and he should have been a, um, a high school senior. I think fans looked at those games, the Kentucky one in 11 and the South Carolina one in 16 and said, these coaches can't get it done. If they can't win those games, they're not going to get it done. So you want you do want to beat Kentucky. Well, John, I'll add one more to that list too. And uh, 
because I, I think the beginning of the end, well, maybe not the beginning of the end, but almost the end of the end for Jeremy Pruitt, for all intents and purposes, was a 34-7 to loss to Kentucky in 2020. So you, you, you're right. I mean, for, for coaching tenures at Tennessee, you can't lose to UK. And, and, and maybe that's unfair because Kentucky's an improving program. Um, you know, Mark Stoops is that program's best coach since Bear Bryant. It's not a lot of competition, but <laughs> you know, you're going back, what, like seven decades there or something. Uh, he's, he's the best coach in, in seven decades and he thinks he's a better coach than John Calipari. It seems like now. Yeah. Uh, but despite all that, Tennessee expects to beat Kentucky. So, and, and, and it's always, it's, it's funny how that perception works with different teams. Cause I, I remember growing up and you would hear Kentucky, like, when they had the, the the passing offense, the number of good quarterbacks there, the the take that I would hear from Tennessee fans was that, well, it's just gimmicky. They're going wide open and throwing the ball and all that. It's just gimmicky. They can't win with that. Tennessee will, will out-physical <laughs> them, which they, which they would at that time. And then when Stoops came in and made them a physical front seven defense and, and r- r- physical running team on offense – it was, yeah, but Kentucky's slow. They can't deal with, with <laughs> Tennessee speed. It's, a, it's the perception you always deal with if you think you're just better than another program. Whatever they do to tweak that, you're, you're going to have a counter to it. It's going to be better. That's the perception, and that's why that's, that feeds into that of even if Kentucky's ranked, well, they're still Kentucky. You should beat them. It, it goes on the flip side. Well, Florida's in rebuilding. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's hard to beat Florida. And, and until that changes, and Josh Hoppel can can do the second one certainly, and he, he must avoid it doing the first one. Uh, until that changes, that's what coaches are going to deal with. All right, guys, we will uh, we will leave it there. Once again, Tennessee's season opener is on Thursday night. Uh, Adam, uh, colleague Mike Wilson will have plenty of coverage over at KnoxNews.com. You can find John's commentary as soon as the game ends. Heck, maybe John will even get it up in the in the fourth quarter for you. Uh, you can find that over at knoxnews.com as well. John, you feel confident you might be able to publish that column by the fourth quarter? Are you? Uh, well, uh, with uh, one caveat, I will say insert final score. <laughs> insert <laughs> score here. Yes. All right, guys. Uh-huh. Uh, we, we'll be back to, to break it down and uh, to look ahead uh, to the Pittsburgh game next week. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Volunteer State.